live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Company. This is Cofield and Company's home on Thursdays. It's part of our 2021 partnership with Silver 7's. Thank you so much to the folks here. I know Angel appreciates it. I do. Candy. Ari. We're on the floor, hanging out by the Corona Cantina, getting ready for some NBA and NHL action. Going down here in the 5 o'clock hour. You can bet it over across the way at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. Sterling Spoon Cafe is open. Rack of ribs. Doesn't look like we just talked about <laughs> last hour. We were talking about some rack of ribs that was posted on Twitter. It's up on ESPN Las Vegas uh, Twitter account. Nightmare, nightmare. This is all sauced up and good coloring. Uh, Silverstone Cafe has got the full rack of ribs for seventeen seventy-seven. You can also come on uh, Mondays. Special uh, lunch special from noon to two. You got the three three seventy-seven old school Vegas. Get the spaghetti and meatballs at the Sterling Spoon. This is a great place to hang out. Get on down here. Silver Sevens on a Thursday. Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. And we do advise you to join A-Play, their players club, where uh, when you sign up, you can get up to uh, 77 bucks in free play right off the bat. And it'll also uh, get you all those great specials at the restaurant. All right, big news in the NBA. Uh, more coaches going bye-bye. This time, though, not a firing. Man, the last couple of days, Candy, very dramatic for the Dallas Mavericks. Today, Rick Carlisle walked. I, if I'm correct, I think he sent his goodbye thanks note from, like, his notes on his phone, which is interesting. We'll get to that. And this, it seems to be stemming from the pro gambler who made allegedly a ton of money on the NBA, who was brought in by Mark Cuban. Whispers were that he's kind of taken over the organization and turning people off, and even Luke is like, screw this guy. I guess Cuban has chosen his side. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Mark Cuban has, in many ways, handed over his franchise to a guy with no experience running a franchise, and now Donnie Nelson, the VP of Basketball Ops, who left yesterday, and Rick Carlisle, who coached the team for the better part of 13 years, left today. And this all goes back to the article in The Athletic that came out a few days ago. Actually, uh, JVT and I talked about it here on Monday about the dysfunction inside the Dallas organization. Now, mind you, not the first word we've heard of dysfunction, and when I use dysfunction, I'm using it in a very loose way because sexual misconduct was the dysfunction I'm talking about from earlier that we've heard about in Dallas. But Mark Cuban and Bob Vulgaris, Harlebob from Twitter, well... Bulgaris seems to be the guy who's won in the power struggle when it comes to the Dallas Mavericks because we heard Rick Carlisle was having Bulgaris scripting rotations for him, scripting usage patterns for him. Rick Carlisle's been an NBA head coach for a long time. Man, 61 years old. He played in the league. So it seems like maybe Rick Carlisle saw Donnie Nelson go, said in his note that he had talks with Mark Cuban, decided he didn't want to be there anymore. Rick Carlisle's going to have a job next year. I mean, this reeks of, hey, there's something waiting for him. You know, we know there are jobs open. I mean, frankly, I think there's going to be some more jobs open. Does Budenholzer survive in Milwaukee if they don't get out of the series? He shouldn't. Right? That could be a match. 
I so, think that would be a great match, by the way. I'll ask you on the – you said it's going to be a great match? To set, if Carl, Carlisle to Milwaukee, if Budenholzer's – Budenholzer doesn't make it. Yeah, I think that could work well. All right, as a as a gambling guy and analytics guy, is I mean I don't want to see people you know forced out of an organization. Isn't this a proud moment for all you guys? That gambling dude, analytics dude, is taking over an NBA franchise. Ah, yes, the monolith of analytics, the straw man. <laughs> You're all, is all, out there. All, you guys are all the same. You all over. It is uh, yes, analytics, the Stay Puff Marshmallow <laughs> Man. Stomping through the streets of your city, coming to take over your franchise with usage rates. We are going to get you. No, it's, uh, it's not a victory. Was it's that victory. fresh material, or have you used that somewhere else? Because that no, time... it's actually that was, that was on the on the spot. Like I, I just had this vision of Stay Puft Marshmallow Man coming through the streets of New York City, coming to stomp on James Dolan. I mean, I do now. That's not fresh. I do actually have that dream regularly. Uh, but you know, through downtown Dallas, here comes the Stay Puft. Vulgaris coming to stomp on Rick Carlisle and send him out of town. You will use my usage patterns or else. Number four. There is a changing of the guard, but it's not changing in, in one way across the league. You just mentioned the monolith. Listen, Cuban's going to, I'm sure their choice is going to be really interesting based on analytics guy, gambling guy, and who he thinks should be the head coach. What about where the players truly have the power? Are you surprised that now it's coming out, hey, Van Gundy is gone from Pelican land, and the guy who has a lot of influence there is barely in the league? Does Zion have? He doesn't, he doesn't have yes, no, final say power, but does he have a lot of power in this situation? I'm not the guy who generally believes when we start hearing free agent rumors about this guy's going to leave this place like three years before the guy actually has a choice to leave the place. Don't we feel like the smoke is starting to lead to some fire with Zion? Like this has started basically from the day he walked into New Orleans. And so Zion Williamson, according to reporting that we saw come out today in The Athletic, uh, Zion Williamson and his family are unhappy with the situation in New Orleans. And if you were watching inside the NBA last night when they were talking about Stan Van Gundy being let go, both Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley talked about the fact that Stan Van Gundy's not a guy who's going to let you get away with things. Like, he has an older school mentality about how he's going to teach. Uh, maybe that didn't go over well with Zion. I don't know. But they certainly made clear that in that article that the sources said that Zion and his family thought that Van Gundy was too rigid. Um, the most hilarious part to me of the New Orleans Pelicans, of all franchises, that we are reading about Zion and his family being a problem, isn't a, isn't this where Lonzo Ball plays? Wasn't this supposed to be LeVar Ball who was the real problem when it came to families influencing the franchise? I thought LeVar Ball was the one who was going to take the whole thing off the path. But apparently it's Zion and his family who have issues. Cofield, has your family ever shown up to the Lotus Studios to complain about how you've been treated at work? Have they ever showed up and said, hey, uh, you know, we're not really happy with the direction of the station. We think Steve should be treated better. Hasn't happened yet. Okay. I'm just checking because Zion and his family don't like what's going on in New Orleans. 
Well, you know that uh, NBA haters, when they see this, they latch on to it. I saw someone having a conversation with uh, Jason McIntyre from Fox Sports. This is a Twitter conversation, and a uh, an egg character, of course, no name on it, said uh, to Jason, hey, you like player empowerment, right? I heard you on many occasions speak to that effect. But for me, this is the uh, the fan, the viewer of the NBA. For me, the NBA was for, uh, far more watchable when the GMs had control. Any system needs structure. That's why the game was better decades ago. And then a couple of people made comments kind of mocking on the person saying, hey, who is this Donald Sterling? Uh, and then the person responded, well, I guess you had to be there in the 80s and 90s to know what's going on. And I, I almost never respond to the, you know, blindly to posts, but I was like, I was there in the 80s and 90s. You're full of it. Um, players had plenty of power in the 80s and 90s and got coaches fired all the time. So you're lying or you're not – a true viewer of 80s and 90s basketball. Huh. Am I off on that one? Am I, am I building out the 80s and 90s to something they weren't? Players had plenty of power back then, and there were super teams back then as well. They absolutely had power. There weren't super teams in the vein that they are now in terms of how they're built, but also let's call it what it is. Huh. So it used to be better before these players, before these people – had more control over their workplace. Huh. Used to be better when the guy in charge could just tell them what to do. Okay. There are definitely no undertones to that. Right. Definitely no cultural also, undertones. Also, to, used, it's all better. Used to be better for the fans when there huh. were 10 or 12 markets where the owners did not care at all and would hand players to Red Auerbach or give players to the Lakers. Or, you know, when Moses Malone, I'll bring this one up all the time, because Dr. J was the one who opened this can of worms a few months ago when Dr. J is like, oh, the Nets, the super team, I, I can't stand that. Like, Doc, Moses Malone complained that he wanted out of Rocketland and got traded to the Sixers to form a super team. Players did the same thing back then. And I'm not, believe me, I'm not saying that, you know, when, when I say that there were owners back then who were terrible and never tried, I, there are terrible teams now, but I, I get the sense that most of them are at least, if they suck, they're trying to build something, so... This is not to bash on 80s and 90s basketball. It's more defensive what's going on now. And when I see people who are like, I was there, well, so was I. And you've either revised history or you're just lying. Number three. Oh, no. Candy, it's the summer. It's hot. We're getting together. We're playing football. We're meeting new teammates. There's no wins or losses yet. Everything is bountiful. Hope is here. Please don't take anything they say at Raiders camp too seriously because you sent me a story today and it was just, you just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. What could it be that you were laughing at? Are, are, now, for those who don't know, when we're exchanging ideas before the show about, you know, maybe we'll do this or maybe we'll do that, uh, usually we'll send a little description along with the story. <laughs> Uh, that, that we send, and I mean, today I might have changed it up a little bit, and I might have just written ha, ha, ha about 30 times uh, when I sent this. So, okay, you tell me if you think I'm off, off base on this one. Uh, I, thought I, I, thought, I thought I had it right. Um, Yannick Ngakwe, the big free agent pass rush signing for the Raiders, had one of his media availabilities at camp yesterday, and said that not only can they be, but they are one of the best pass rush duos in the NFL with him and Max Crosby. Let me repeat that. 
Wait, hold on. This is what Candy sent me. That's how long it was. Candy, stop laughing. Please. It's over. They're just in a good mood. There's upside for the new defensive end combo. All right. Man, you really got a good good laugh out of that one, buddy. Uh, nice little gorilla sample there. I enjoyed that. Uh, so That was you. What are you talking about? What? What? I cut anyway. you short. Uh, I cut it short. Yeah, Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby as the best pass rush duo in the NFL um, is fun. It's just fun. Like, it's, it, you're right. It's June 17th. Why not have fun? It's summertime. We all just lived through the worst of the pandemic. A lot of us are vaccinated going out there, enjoying the world again. Why not just live to all of your highest aspirations? Like Yannick Ngakwe, a guy who had to sign a one-year contract with the Raiders. And Max Crosby, a guy who, let's just say that seven of the sacks that everyone has been so excited about over the last two years came against Jacksonville and Cincinnati, two of the worst offensive lines you've ever seen. Let's just say I don't believe they're one of the best pass rush duos in the NFL. I'm usually numbers guy, right? I'm usually the one who's going to come out here and spew a bunch of analytics at you. Just you and these malicious facts. Can't stand it. Pass rush grade for Yannick Ngakwe the last three years. That was last year. From Pro Football Focus. Three years. It's three years. Old news. Three years. Uh, 76, 77, 74, his last grade above an 80. And mind you, these are grades like you got in school. Uh, His last grade above an 80 in pass rush was in 2017. His... Pro football focus grade has fallen each of the last four years. Uh, he has been with three teams now, make it four in the last twelve months. Uh, look, maybe they weren't they weren't using great. him the right way. No, um, Gus Bradley will. Uh, maybe this turns out great for the Raiders, but what is the benefit at this time of year, other than giving us material? What is the benefit of Yannick Ngakwe going out there and saying that he and Max Crosby are one of the best pass rush duos in the NFL when there is absolutely no evidence to back that up? When the Raiders' pass rush with one of those two players last year was so abysmal that it was everyone's number one priority to go out there and sign a pass rusher. So I hope Yannick Ngakwe gets back to the form that he last showed roughly in 2017 in Jacksonville because the Raiders will be a better team for it. And contrary to popular belief, we don't want to talk about and cover teams that suck. Trust us, it's not fun. It's not a fun fan base. It's not a fun locker room. No one wants to be around teams that suck. But this Raiders team has a hell of a lot to prove when it comes to the pass rush before Yannick Ngakwe should be getting up there and talking about them being one of the best. Show me. Don't tell me. These things happen during the offseason when new people come to the program folks get excited they want to get hyped up i will take you back i don't even know what the year was i'm guessing uh probably 2014 jalon kendrick upon being uh, added to the unlv roster which had a lot of talent did throw out there that hey this group is good enough to win a national championship he was excited how old he, he he was excited how old is jalon kendrick 
I don't know. College five, five At that point, probably six years younger than Ngakwe is now. Yeah, Yannick Ngakwe is 26 years old. He's been in the league for five years. He knows better. Um, <laughs> look, you want to say it and hope it comes true? That's great. By the way, also, um, can we pour one out for Cleveland Furl, uh, right. who I thought the number four draft pick was part of this pass rushing rotation? Did Yannick Ngakwe just permanently shove Cleveland Furl to the inside? Or is this not a, a pass rush trio? This is only a pass rush duo. Is this an A and B conversation and Cleveland Furl can see his way out? Number two. By the way, I do want to correct the quote. It was 2012 from Kendrick. He said, I've become a better person. My goal at UNLV is to help them win a national title. That's all. That's oh, all. super close. Super close. It was close. It was close. Mm-hmm. He didn't guarantee a national title. Help him win a national title. Which were lofty. That was a lofty goal. Mm-hmm. At the time, and you know how coaches feel about that. Oh, listen, if you want to come out there and say, hopefully by the end of the year we're one of the best pass rush duos in the NFL, go for it, but no. Number two. Wow, Ari, putting the pressure on you. Number two. I was annoyed last night. Golden Knights lose. The beach balls all deflated. Where were the glow sticks? Where were the Raiders to crank the opening siren? Usher, superstar. By the way, Ari's working on him. We should get him on Cofield and Company in the next two weeks. What do we do when they get back to the fortress? We go 25 beach balls, and Gakwe comes back for a second try on the siren. A lot of jinxes last night, Candy. A lot of jinxes. Had nothing to do with the performance on the ice. It was the setup. I'm not sure I feel comfortable with uh, with the guy who sang "Let It Burn," you know, the guy who kicks the game off. Like you, the Golden Knights are supposed to let it burn? No, they, they got burned last night. Was terrible for it's terrible for them. The glow sticks were gone. The atmosphere before Game One, I thought that was great. That I, love, was I, I love fantastic. glow sticks. I love glow sticks. Oh yeah, I mean, look, glow sticks. Yes. Thunder sticks, those damn balloons that they used to have at the Angels game that made it sound like the cicadas were coming for you, those were terrible. But the glow sticks, that atmosphere they created in game uh, one, that is clearly the reason they won game one. Let's get back to fun. We need to get back to fun. Glow sticks are fun. No glow sticks, no victory. Bill Foley has unlimited money. There is no cap. There is no salary cap on the amount that you can spend on fun in the building. We have a full building now. There's no excuse. Glow sticks for everyone for Game 5. That is the kind of hardcore hockey knowledge we look for out of Adam Candy. They had three different light settings on them. I've got one back here from past years. <laughs> I've got one of my night-up light sticks from uh, from a couple of years ago. There are three different light settings. You can, you can hold that in the eyes of the shooters like they're coming for free throws. Come on. Come on. Glow sticks. Everybody, let's do this. Number one. Now, this is how sports radio works. Ignore everything we said yesterday. Uh, Candy gave a lot of respect to Montreal. A lot of us and a lot of the fans were not giving the uh, Canadians a whole lot of respect. Watch me flip this one. You know, I've been thinking about it, Candy. Hmm. Is Montreal actually a terrible matchup for the Golden Knights? Yeah, I get it. I, <laughs> yesterday, I, I yesterday it. all day long, we're breaking down, like, what's their style? If they, Do they only have one style? That ain't going to work against the Golden Knights. Oh, wait. It did. 
No, I mean, and Steve, I thought you made a great point yesterday when you were talking about how you thought Montreal was live in this series. I really thought that uh, that, was, that was some that was some trenchant analysis. Oh, I pounded it over and over again. I was like, you yeah. have to take the plus seven hundred. Thank you for giving me credit on that. Yeah, actually, it was. I, I was kind of starting to feel like you were getting a little bit aggressive about it. Like, um, watch this sports radio thing. Uh, I kind of feel like you dislike the Golden Knights. I feel like you don't like the hometown no, team. No, 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 no. No, you I, don't I, like. You don't. You just. You know what? There's nothing that they can do that's right. That you. You just well, dislike them. I, you know, it's funny. I did get on Flurry at the uh, the beginning of the show, and you sure. fired back. Uh, all of a sudden, we were good cop, bad cop, and I'm yeah. now the bad cop. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it's, it's a good team that can flip around. Who's the good cop and the bad cop at, at any given time? Montreal is a team that played very well throughout most of the season. We've talked to. Joey Guy Fieri yesterday, and from Montreal Radio, Joey Guy Fieri told us that this is a team that played very well the first 10 games of the season, and then got injured quite a bit and hit the skids, and then they also after that had to deal with a huge COVID pause that forced them to back a whole bunch of games up at the end of the season. They sort of snuck their way into the playoffs as the number four seed. Well, guess what? Here they are as a team with elite goaltending, as a team that plays a pretty good puck possession game, although the Golden Knights' numbers have uh, been better than them through two games. But it's a Montreal team that we said yesterday is not as good as the Golden Knights, but is not nearly as bad as the price suggested. We were talked about it before the series and said, is Montreal a team that should be plus 375, a team that had won seven consecutive games, that had defeated the Toronto Maple Leafs after being down 3-1? to one? No, absolutely not. That being said... I'm not about to carry this hype train all the way over the cliff. It's a disaster if the Golden Knights lose this series. They have this handed to them. But is Montreal a terrible team? No. Are the Golden Knights better than them? Yes, but the problem is Montreal, you have that goaltender in Carey Price. You have them going into their tortoise shell as soon as they get the lead. It's the kind of thing that can cause them a problem, much the same as what you saw out of Minnesota. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. But again, they took the crowd out of there. Uh, it was calm after that, and it took them two periods to get it back. They got it back in the third period, and they had a great third period. But the first two periods, Montreal's checking game in the defensive and Carey Price really shut Vegas down. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Mary Melrose with the analysis of Game 2. we got a one-up series, Knights and Montreal. I think a lot of people had uh, Canadians left for dead with that minus 1,100 price on the series before Game 2, but no Chandler Stevenson. That hurt the cause. The return of Jeff Petrie certainly helped on the Montreal side, and uh, Price was better in Game 2 than he was in game one, and, you know, as we mentioned earlier in the show, Marc-Andre Fleury, solid game, not a great game. You backed me down on some of my criticism about the uh, the, the the goal from Toffoli that kind of dribbled between his legs. And Fleury did say after the game about the uh, Byron goal where he was uh, leaping at a uh, breaking Byron and, you know, tried to use a stick to poke the puck away. He said, uh, regretted that as soon as I did it, should not have done that. So... Listen to the man himself, Candy. I know you defended him. That's his style, and that's the way he plays. But Flurry says, shouldn't have done it. Easy to say once he missed it. <laughs> yes. You know, the sad part for 
First of all, the loss is sad. Uh, the sad part for the uh, Golden Knights is that Petrangelo really is playing at a top level now, and this is what they've been waiting for all year, and now all of a sudden the forwards are having trouble getting things done. I think you really saw it last night with the top line in particular. Yeah, Pacioretty did have the one opportunity on that little mini break, but if you look at the numbers in this series, as much as I have dragged on the fourth line for the Golden Knights with Ryan Reeves and Carrier and sometimes Colasar, sometimes Brown, their numbers are actually good in this series. They, they've done what they're supposed to do. They've, kept, they've been heavy and they've kept the puck down in the offensive zone. Alex Tuck, uh, as the broadcast pointed out, was flying all over the ice last night. Uh, the Misfit line didn't have its greatest game of the series last night, but it was pretty solid in game one. You just you really notice it uh, when that top line can't create because that number one line for the Golden Knights really is a difference maker when everything is right. We're going to get a reaction from, because uh, he always reacts, he's a great hockey fan, great poker player. Daniel Negreanu is on the way on Cofield and Company. Golden Knights games and 77-cent Bud Light bottles? Silver 7's Hotel and Casino has you hooked up. Those people that said we were going to sweep were the same people said Colorado was going to sweep us. So you know, we, we knew this wasn't going to be easy, and, and we have a tremendous amount of respect for their team. It is what it is. We're in a better spot than we were last round after two games, and we'll go into Montreal and look to win a game. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Pete DeBoer with a Those People reference. I'm not sure what he's talking about, but uh, we believe you, Pete. We believe you. You're getting ready for Game 3 against Montreal. It's not going to be an easy series. The Canadians showed that last night. Daniel Negreanu, longtime – that's funny, right? Longtime Golden Knights fan, but longtime hockey fan, uh, poker legend, joins Cofield and company to uh, give us a little breakdown of what he saw yesterday. Daniel, how are you? I'm doing good, guys. But, yeah, as far as a breakdown of what I saw, it wasn't a lot of good. <laughs> it was a lot no. of bad last well, night. Well, I mean, sure. the, the first period was unbelievable. When you come out at, with, you know, with the numbers of, like, expected goals of 138 to 0. 0.23, you know that there's been a side that freaking dominated. Yeah, no quitting. I mean, really, the, the first period has been sort of a, a, a problem for Vegas in the playoffs. You know, getting down behind Colorado several times and came back to win. And, you know, the first 10 minutes in your home building, that's when you expect Vegas to really sort of shine. And we've seen them come out really flat and then chase the game and, you know, really put on a, a push late. But it was, again, a little too, a little, too little too late. Daniel, you pointed out on your Twitter that you were concerned coming into the season about the depth at center for this team. Obviously, you saw the loss of Chandler Stevenson affect the Golden Knights last night, but I thought you had an interesting idea. Why not throw Alex Tuck up to that top line? Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? When you're down 2-0, you know, going into third, I know that he's not a natural center, but really you just want to put all hands on deck and increase your opportunity for firepower. But my concern, you're right, with this team has always been with center depth because what they really need to see happen when we lost Paul Stasny and Halla moved on was Cody Glass to emerge right into that top six. Because when you don't have him, if you look at our you know two top centers and William Carlson and Chandler Stevenson, they don't compare that well with other top centers in the league. And when you lose one, oh my goodness, now you've got Keegan Colasar, a rookie grinder, playing between your two best offensive weapons. It just... It doesn't, you know, it it doesn't bode well. It's like he's going to be your number one center because we don't know what Chandler Stevenson is dealing with or whether he's even going to make the trip at this point. So, Daniel, maybe help take us inside the mind of the 
Canadian hockey fan who is going to see the Montreal Canadiens farther down the line than, than they've been in quite a while here. They're going to be feeling some momentum coming home, 4,000 or so people in the building. What do you think that atmosphere is going to be like? Well, again, like it's not going to be like the Vegas atmosphere, obviously. You know, we have a crazy crowd, and when it's full as it is with 18,000, you know, it's rocking. Um, I, I don't think they'll get quite the boost that you would expect, you know, a home, home ice advantage to give you in Montreal. But, I mean, listen, and at least there's some people, right? And we're, we're slowly moving towards normalcy uh, across the globe. What do you think about the difference that you've been able to see in the crowd coming back this year? It almost feels to me in the building like it's always been wild, right? You have 18,000, 19,000 at T-Mobile Arena, but there's almost something in the volume and the energy of people kind of appreciating the fact that they had lost it for as long as they had during COVID. I think you're right. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with, like, just people appreciating so much more, just the awesomeness of it. And I got to say, I don't know if it's because, you know, we hadn't been to a game in a while, you know, because of COVID, or it really was, but it felt like the loudest I've ever heard the arena you know, for, for game one at the very least. Maybe a little quieter in game two because we didn't get much going. But, yeah, yeah I think it's for a lot of people just, a, you know, an appreciation once again for how great it is to have a hockey team here in Las Vegas. The voice of Daniel Negreanu loves hockey, great poker player, watching this series like the rest of us, and he's a Golden Knights fan. He was at the game last night. Uh, rest of the way in this series, what do you fear about the Montreal side? Well, again, what I fear is, like, they play defensively sound, and the big ticket that they have that plays into their favor is Carey Price. And Carey Price, when he's sharp, he's very, very difficult for us to beat. Um, and, again, you know, us facing this issue right now of really not getting any traction from our forwards. I mean, five of the goals Vegas has scored have been from defensemen in this series. The Mark Stone and Pacioretty line, obviously without Stevenson right now, not getting a lot going. So, my concern would be just that, uh, you know, if Montreal can get a lead, then they get to play a style that they want, which is just wait it out, don't make any big mistakes, you know, don't worry about scoring goals, just keep them out, you know, of the net, and, and then you have Vegas chasing the game. So I think good starts are going to be really important. Somehow they've got to change this, you know, awful pattern of just being flat in the first period, and all of a sudden yeah. the team you expected to show up shows up in the second or third. And, you know, often, listen, they do come back and win, but it's a – you know, you're playing. We play. DeBoer said this. He's like, you're playing with fire if you keep doing that. That's that's not a recipe for winning. Well, and the other thing is, if Montreal is going to make mistakes and you get power plays, my lord, take advantage of them. It's it's this this the feeling of a drought has gone on for way too long. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I really think I was surprised that when Stevenson went down, they didn't call up Cody Glass and give him a shot here in an offensive role because. Hmm he makes a, a significant difference on our power play. Like, when he's in the lineup and playing, and listen, I understand there are shortcomings in his game, um, but I imagine you could sort of limit his minutes to a certain degree and just have him there to boost the power play because it's not as good of a power play as it should be with the, with the uh, personnel we have, and I think Cody Glass could give it that kind of boost. And Again, I, I just didn't see why they would bring in, you know, Patrick Brown and sort of leave a void of offensively-minded centers in your, in your top six. Well, let's talk about the mental side of this because clearly, I mean, nothing's clear because I, I don't know. I'm not talking to the guys directly. They're not giving me the, the, the true story here. But the, the staff doesn't have as much confidence in Glass. And maybe Glass has lost some confidence. You know, as a guy who has plays in a sport where you have to be confident, like that drop-off can be freaking debilitating. Yeah, there's no question. Again, I, like, I really believe that for Vegas to do something this year, they needed – Cody Glass to really progress and step up. And unfortunately for him, 
he seems to be regressing to a certain degree. And a lot of that, I think, does come with, you know, from confidence, you know, and just in the opportunities that he did have, not making the most of it. But again, at this point, um, you know, I just feel like, you know, give him a game and let's see. Because right now you need somebody like him to create offense, you know, in that top six. And without him, I, I don't think this Keegan Colasar, as well as he played, he played, I mean, as well as you could expect him to play, I don't think the experiment of him being, you know, him centering your number one line makes a lot of sense. We have not spoken to you in a while. I remember one of our conversations, you know, a ways back, was about the way the organization was operating in terms of uh, full disclosure with the fans and making moves that, you know, maybe confuse people, sending people out uh, that you didn't expect to be traded. Where are you now on the way the organization kind of operated the whole way to kind of, you know, not kind of, the, the way they set up this season and the way they set up this run? So, listen, on the one hand, you know, an organization has every right to sign contracts, trade people, switch coaches, do all these things with the intention of, you know, winning. And I do believe wholeheartedly that that's the reason behind what they're doing. I still don't like a lot of the way in which they did things. Like, I feel like a guy like Gerard Gallant, thankfully, has a job now with the Rangers. You know, he brought this ragtag team to the finals. He made the playoffs the next year. He's the coach of the All-Star game. And he lost four games for the first time, and you cut his head off. You don't even let him finish out the season. I felt like that was premature. And, you know, they've made some other mistakes in that regard in terms of, you know, faces of the franchise. You know, the whole Flurry and Laner thing has become a dramatic sidebar and side story that really doesn't need to be there. You know, we've got all this money tied up in goal where you look at, wow, you know, if you had $5 million extra in cap space, I mean, you could use that to fill out the bottom six. But instead... You know, we, we have insurance in an area we don't really need it right now because Flurry's been outstanding. What do you think they do with the goalie situation in the offseason? So what I think happens is Flurry has one more year on his contract. Robin Lehner's, you know, got three or four more. So my expectation would be this, is, this coming season will be Flurry's last with the Vegas Gold Knights, whether that means retirement or maybe he goes to, you know, to back to Pittsburgh or somewhere else uh, is, remains to be seen. And then I think what you have is Lehner for another three years. And then you've got Logan Thompson backing him up. And then probably, you know, because it does take goalies a little longer to develop at the NHL level, I would expect him to be maybe, you know, the future goalie uh, studying behind Robin Lehner until he's ready to, you know, take over from there. Dan in the ground is with us. we got to close on this. i got a, a poker question for you. Uh, today we're at Silver 7s. We're at casinos, you know, almost every day. Yesterday we were at the Orleans. I walk in the back of the Orleans and they got the poker room there. Man, it was buzzing. I mean, there were dozens of tables open. You know, it was, it was great to see, uh, you know, people on masks. Where, where is poker right now in terms of getting back to normal? You know, no mask, the vaccination, all that stuff, holding the tournament the way they regularly uh, do. Yeah, poker is back in a big way. I mean, when we first started back up, people were playing with plexiglass on the table. So it was a little weird. You couldn't really hear each other. It was kind of an impersonal <laughs> environment. Yeah. And people are wearing masks on top of it. The plexiglass came down. You know, and poker is booming. We've been playing events at the Poker Go studio right in front of Aria. And uh, there's all kind. it's really going to be an action-packed rest of the year. There are so many events coming up. The win is having a $10 million guarantee next week. Wow. And then there's the Poker Go Cup in the studio. And you're going to have World Series of Poker.com online. Then the GG Poker Series happens for international players. Then you're going to have the Poker Masters followed by the return of the live World Series of Poker at the Rio which will not be in its normal time slot, which is June, July. It's going to be happening uh, last week of September and through October. What do you think of that from a schedule I think standpoint? It's great. Is it good? I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be interesting to see because during that time frame, 
you know, there's a lot of conventions typically in town, so I wonder if that's going to help attendance. And I think for a lot of the players, you know, they're used to going to the Rio when it's 115 degrees out. You know, it's a little much. But uh, now I think, you know, people will probably appreciate a little bit of the cooler weather and, uh, you know, the different uh, lot. I don't think it's going to be a permanent thing, but I, th- I think it'll be unique and different because, I don't know, for the last 10, 15 years or 20 years even, it's always been, you know, between May, May June, July. You, uh, you jumped in feet first on the Golden Knights being a fan. Do you care about the NFL? Are you going to do it with the Raiders? I was a, when I grew up, I was a Buffalo Bills fan, right? Mm-hmm. And I never liked the Raiders. And it's just, I would have preferred, I would have been a little more excited maybe if we had an expansion team. But there's just something about Raiders that, yeah. ugh, I was never able to just wrap my head around it. So I don't see my, I mean, maybe for fun I'll go to a game. or Maybe when the Bills come to town I'll, I'll go to a game. But I'm more of a hockey guy. I don't spend much time or energy, you know, watching NFL at all. Well, I mean, we're, we're exploding here. You mentioned all the poker action. We got fights coming up. There's going to be a lot of use now of this brand new football stadium, mega events. We got freaking uh, SummerSlam coming. There'll be like 60,000 wrestling fans. So I, I know you love Las Vegas like we do. So exciting times that we're back open and like with a big time rush, too, with all these events. Yeah, you're not, no kidding. It's really great, you know, because I know my brother, he's in Toronto and they're still in lockdown. And, you know, you just really appreciate how good of a job, you know, we did here in Nevada of getting people vaccinated and. You know, we, you know, everyone did their part, you know, wearing masks. And, you know, and now we, we get to see what happens when, you know, everyone does the right thing, if you will. Most people getting vaccinated. And now we can return to life as normal. I think it's really, I think it's awesome. I think it's a new appreciation, not just for, like, being in an arena, 18,000 fans, but just an appreciation for being able to go to the grocery store, yeah. you know, without having to cough into a mask. Exactly. Daniel, thank you. All right, always a pleasure, guys. There he is. Poker legend Daniel Negreanu. Super sports fan. I did not want to bring up the uh, Nevada Vax program and the money because that, that could just derail the whole thing. Candy, are you okay? We announced in the middle of the show that uh, Sisolak has his new uh, $5 million Nevada Vax Days thing with a million-dollar grand prize. Have you settled down because you really seem pissed off that you might not be eligible? Mm, I'm not sure you know which one of us that was, but I feel like this is the script maybe to like indecent proposal too. Like, would you give back the time that you have had vaccinated and the fact that you've been able to do things as a vaccinated person for like the last, what, three, four months? Would you give back that time for a shot at the million dollars? Yes. Money is everything. You heathen. What is wrong with you? I want in. I want to be eligible. Just go get super vaxxed. Just go get super vaxxed. Just go down there and show up again. Ask for a couple more needles and see if you can get your way into the million dollars. The show never ends. Watch the Cofield and Company Late Night Pod tonight at 9 o'clock on YouTube or at Steve Cofield on Twitter. Cofield and Company presents... Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. You know, Candy, this uh, U.S. Olympic burrito gate, U.S. Olympic travel uh, burrito gate is uh, is getting kind of crazy. Very sad for the runner, Shelby Houlihan, who apparently was cleared to run earlier in the day. She's the U.S. record holder at 1,500 and 5,000 meters. She's now back out. She's not allowed to run. You're sad about this. You're sad about this. You're sad. I, I think it sucks. I actually do. I do believe her. Uh, maybe I'm a freaking mark on this one. Uh, I don't know about the the pork burrito, you know, tainted meat thing, but 
It's a it's a very it seems like it's a very flawed process. Yes, it does seem like it's a very flawed process and at the point where we're talking about tainted burritos as the reason that someone is not going to have the opportunity to potentially compete, yeah, it's it's a sad thing. But that being said, we've been caught over the years by so many poor excuses for doping that I think I immediately start from the place where it's like Okay, sure. Yeah, tainted meat in a burrito, whatever, right? Whereas it's true, there have been cases of contaminated meat that have yeah. caused these samples to test positive. Stick your hand in there, Dave. I know he likes cheeseburgers. I don't know about pork burritos, but uh, Andy Reid's one of the best guys to cover. Now, I'll say this, you know, via our Kansas City friends, uh, Andy doesn't always say a whole lot, and he's not going to be real explosive, which – is why I found it really funny today. And I know people are just doing their jobs, but one of the NFL insiders from ESPN tweeted something out like, hey, I'm here for the Andy Reid availability. Going to tell you what he's thinking about Le'Veon Bell. You know, because Le'Veon Bell last week said he'll never play for Andy Reid again. Then I'm sure it, you know, it got to him like, dude, if you can't play for Andy Reid, you're like, you're barely hanging out in the NFL. No one's going to sign you. So, so he apologizes. Here's what Andy Reid said after that, that tease I mentioned by a media member. And it was Ed Warder. I don't like to uh, sub-speak, sub-tweet. Um, just doing his job. But, yeah, Andy Reid on uh, Le'Veon Bell. Manny, he tore into him. He goes, I really enjoyed my time with him here. <laughs> I appreciated the way he handled things and did his business. Uh, he had some productive downs for us. I'm pulling for him in the future. All right, there you go. Andy Reid, flamethrowing, completely pissed off. He doesn't really talk about energy vampires, does he? No. You really seem to worry about that player who left and no. still talking about him, huh? No. Interesting. I, I feel like that was just a shot at someone else. Hmm. No, no, no. I'm just, uh, just talking. Talking to talk. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Speaking of the Raiders, is the ultimate athlete on the team Henry Ruggs? Wide receiver. First-round pick. Decorated, impressive high school basketball career. Big-time dunker at, like, 5'11". Wait a second. Did he almost bowl a 300? Can this guy do everything? Here's the craziest part of this story to me, Steve. So he puts on his social media that he bowled a 299. All the way down to the very last roll. What was the one thing you remember from Henry Ruggs last year? <laughs> yes. The guy who came through on oh, the very God. last play of the I, game. So That's happy. the part that jumps out at me the most. Was he was so the closer yep. against your Jets. Yeah, he was, was so the happy. closer. And yet, here we are. Um, by the way, Cofield, this brought up a very interesting point in my head. What is the best game you have ever bowled? Um, maybe a 254. Damn! Yeah. I'm uh, decent. I'm decent. I uh, oh, my, my, decent, my, decent. My ass. If you're rolling a two fifty seven, well, like, that's an outlier. I mean, my I, the last time I, I I bowled in a league, which I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, I averaged a one eighty, and you know I would I could do two hundred games on a regular basis, but I'm also a mental midget, so I could also fire out you know a one thirty here and there. Wait, so do do you spin the ball? I do, but you can my, hook that thing down the lane. Um, I actually do the, the the thumbless, you know what I mean, just the two finger. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. I yeah. aspire to the thumbless. So, That's why so I'm I, curious. So I so I rip that, but it's all over the lanes. I'm not consistent. And then I'm where I'm a mental midget is the spares. All right, let I me get more. It. With, 
I just throw a straight ball on the spares. Or I, I, you know, I, frankly, I don't even know what I do anymore because I haven't done it in like six years. But I'd like to get back to doing it. I would love. I don't think I could ever do it. I'm. I literally. I have to imbibe when I'm bowling. And the other thing I do, I don't look at the score the entire game. So I've got problems. More, I need to get more with a more of what I was going for here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ari. It's the best game you've ever bowled. Sorry, I ruined it. No, this is it. This totally describes everything that I deal with every day. The best game I ever had, no outlier that I could tell you was years ago, was 130. And I'm still proud of that. I think that's incredible. And I'm not anywhere near a decent bowler as Steve, Mr. 180 average. Oh, my outlier 180 average. The guy you need need to talk to is uh, Twinkle Toes. Adam Hill, you got to watch him bowl. Big fella who's actually a pretty decent athlete for a big fella. He's unbelievable watching him bowl. It is, it is it is a show. He ain't good. He ain't Steve Cofield good. Hey, listen, you know, you don't you don't just go out and win the old guy triathlon unless you've got some real athleticism. And uh, Koken and I back in the day used to dominate that thing, Candy. Dominate it. But apparently Henry Ruggs is really an athlete. Almost got a 300.